What is up, Bible Stormers? We're back for our second episode of season six. Hopefully, actually on time. I'm actually uh, I'm getting this in on time. I think for the the editing team to uh, have proper amount of time <laughs> to get it out, which is rare for me. If there is ever an episode that is late, there is a 99% chance that that is on me. So, uh, just, just for future reference, I will take the blame on whatever, because I most likely deserve it, but I'm so thankful that you're here with me as we're continuing our thoughts about what may be the deepest, most complex, most I don't know, unreachable mystery of all. And that is the divine trinity. In our last episode, we talked about how our God is a confusing math problem, right? Where one plus one plus one equals one, because our God is one. There is one God. And yet, Father and Son and Spirit are all God. So how does this work? Well, like I said last time, we're not going to solve this mystery but I want us to dive into it together, not with the intention of, of completely mastering it or having the exact correct words for doctrinal pop quiz, but to try to make it um, real for us, for our lives, like right here and right now. Because I don't think I, before relatively recently, had thought about real life implications of the fact that God is three in one, one in three. And at least for this episode and probably the next one, we're considering some questions that we left off last time. Last time we talked about the Trinity test site where the atomic bomb blew up and um, or in New Mexico and how the inner conflict of Robert Oppenheimer, who was the father of the atomic bomb, he was internally conflicted regarding the ethics of the bomb that he dropped. And the similar internal conflict of John Donne and his poem, which inspired the name of the, the test site, which is Trinity. And in his poem, uh, Holy Sonnet number 14, he describes a Trinity that he wants to be bound to, but finds himself drifting away from far too often. So he asks that God would batter his heart and overthrow him and bend him and imprison him. And all of these, these violent, um, as the museum piece said, warlike metaphors. And the question we left off last time is, or left, left off with last time is, should it be fear that binds us to our God? Should anxiety, should scarcity be what ties us to our all-powerful God? Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't think so. And, and I think it specifically because of that power. Because the power that binds God together is not the power of fear, it's of love. Last time we talked about the ACT and how math and science are, objectively speaking, the worst two subjects on the ACT. So let's run it back. Let's talk a little science. The basic building block of our entire physical universe is the atom. The atom consists of three particles. If you remember this from maybe middle school science class, it consists of the proton, the electron, and the neutron. And these three particles are in constant interplay with one another. 
Now, this atom is what Robert Oppenheimer had to split, had to explode to create the atomic bomb. And according to nuclear scientists, the mystery of the explosive power of the atom is not found in the protons. It's not found in the electrons. It's not found in the neutrons. No, the power is found in the interaction between the three. And I'm not going to pretend to understand this fully. But something about the connection between the protons and electrons and neutrons is where the power lies. And I think our Trinity is similar. In 1 John 4 and verse 8, it tells us that God is love. If, if that weren't in our Bible, I don't know if we would ever say that. Because that's a radical statement. To say that God is love has ramifications. <laughs> It means that whatever is going on in our God is a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three. That is the essence of true love. Love is what binds the Trinity together. And just like with the Adam, we, we may say that love, the, the interaction between the three, is where the power of the Trinity lies. It's where the life of the Trinity lies. So it's not that God is a dictator ruling in solitude with an iron hand from his faraway palace. No, God came here and he stayed here. And he comes not to dominate or to threaten or to coerce anyone, but to give and to serve and to adore, to adore you and to do it, adore me. And he comes not, not alone, but as three in one, as one in three, a community of love. When Jesus is here on earth, there's no denying the relevance, the moment-to-moment -moment necessity of his Father and the Spirit in his ministry. If you read through the Gospels, there's no missing that. And as the Spirit is here on earth, there's no denying that he comes from the Father and the Son. There's no dividing these three. They are a community of love from eternity. I love this quote from Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. This is from pages 36 through 38, if you want to read the full uh, context here. But he says, the Trinity is not some inessential add-on to God, some optional software that can be plugged into him. At bottom, in essence, this God is not, first of all, creator or ruler or even deity in some abstract sense. He is Father, loving His Son in the fellowship of the Spirit, a God who is in Himself a community of love, who before all things can never be anything but love. And if you trust and come to know such a being, it changes absolutely everything. The fact that God is Trinity tells us much about God. The fact that God is Trinity means that God the Father is the eternally loving Father. Now, who is a father? At least a good father. And God is nothing if not good. A father is one who gives life. He protects. He loves. And that means that God the Father is inherently an others-centered, loving, life-giver. The Trinity also means that the Son is the eternally beloved Son. Like Jesus says in John 17, Father, you loved me 
from before any of this existed, any of this universe, any time, any humans, before any of this came along, you loved me. He's the eternally beloved son. And the spirit is always the hardest to capture, especially with our words. As Jesus said in John 3, you know, the spirit blows where, it, where he wills. It, it's not um, always the easiest to capture with our limited language. But I like thinking of the spirit in terms of this community of love as an eternal fresh breath of love, <laughs> an eternal fresh breath of love between the father and the son. Now, all of this means that the Trinity is more than just a complicated philosophical puzzle for us to talk about. If you know me, you know that conversations surrounding deep biblical, theological, whatever you want to call it, topics, um, that's what I'm all about. But the Trinity is about more than that. Because the power of God is what upholds reality itself, right? God is the foundation of our universe. There is nothing without him, not only from the beginning, but right now. He is the one who is upholding everything. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1, 17, in him all things hold together. And Hebrews 1, 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God is the one who is keeping all of this together. So when we claim that God is Trinity, we're claiming that the entire universe is held together by an eternal community of love. You see that if God is love and God is Trinity and God is the one who is upholding all of this stuff that we exist within, we're claiming that the universe is held together by an eternal community of love. Like we've talked about on this podcast before, everything is contingent on God. If you are not contingent on God, then you are God. <laughs> There's no separating contingent existence from our existence. We are all contingent on God. And I believe that that means that reality itself is constituted by love. Because God is the life force of the universe. There is no life apart from him. And if he is love, then that means something for reality itself. As this one dude said, I'm going to try to pronounce his name and I'm not going to get it right, but maybe you can Google it and find him. <laughs> Teilhard de Chardin. He said, the very physical structure of the universe is love. And perhaps there are more exact ways to speak of this. Perhaps this is not the most scientifically exact um, phrasing of this reality. But I want to invite you into this way of thinking about the world. Because all of this, I believe, is what the fact that our God is triune and he is love. I believe that all of this comes from that. But it's something that, that's easy to miss in our power-hungry top-down hierarchical world. We're so used to humans from the top dictating down toward us for their own benefit. And I don't even mean that in, in a, some type of uprising type of way. It's just humans, right? <laughs> power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And I think most of us believe that that's at least mostly true because we've seen what happens with humans in power. But what the Trinity teaches us 
is that God himself, reality itself, is not hierarchical. It's, it's not about competition. It's not about money grabs. It's not about power trips. Reality is not hierarchical. It's circular. It's a reality of generosity, of self-giving, of intimate community. That is what existence is about. Now, this God breaks our categories. This God changes how we view everything. And I know, I know this is a lot to think about all at once, right? That's how our God works. It's, he's a lot to take in and comprehend. But I don't think that the God of the Bible is mainly a being that we comprehend or even try to grasp fully, to make him as small as we are, to fit into our minds and boxes and whatever we want to say. The point is to know and be known by this God. And so that at our very best, we can participate in his love. We can join in on this community of love. I love what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls us. Because he died, we've all died. We die with him. This God, he breaks our categories. His love is unmistakable, it's unmissable, and it's unignorable. It has to be part of our reality. It has to be, in my mind, the governing aspect of the way that we view the world. Now, next time... I want to talk about specifically what this has to do with how you and I relate to our God, with how we view God. I don't think you're going to want to miss it if you found it intriguing up to this point, because I think it's my favorite part of this whole thing. As we think through what implications this has for our real and relevant and current spiritual lives. Until then, keep on Bible storming. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.